welcome to Dr. Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Bement, your host, welcoming you to episode 135 of Dr. Who Panel to Panel. I know, surprise, Happy New Year! It's a brand new episode of Panel to Panel, and it's only been a week. I totally have thrown off my once-a-month schedule, uh, but it was very important that I do so. Uh, circumstances just happened to work out fine that uh, I was able to chat with the current editor of Dr. Who magazine, Marcus Hearn. He had a break in his schedule, and I was able to get in touch with him, and we set up a quick interview. Uh, actually, it's not that quick. It's almost an hour long, but uh, we had a really nice chat, and I didn't want to wait a month for you to hear this at home or on your listening device, whatever you listen to this podcast on. So I decided to rush this right out because uh, I know I always like getting Dr. Who magazine, and I like to know what's going on, and uh, this is a good chance to get caught up with Marcus Hearn and find out what's been going on since he took over as editor of Dr. Who magazine. I don't want to delay things anymore. Thank you for downloading this episode of Panel to Panel, and without further ado, here is my chat with Dr. Who magazine editor Marcus Hearn. Marcus Cern, thank you for joining me on Doctor Who Panel to Panel today. That's my pleasure. Looking forward to talking to you. Well, you've uh, had a lot happen since the last time we chatted. When we last chatted, uh, you were just taking over as the uh, editor of Doctor Who magazine. And uh, I guess my first question for you is how how has the experience been so far compared to what you thought it would be? Um, gosh, okay. Uh, well, it's kind of open-ended. It's, uh, it's, it's extremely <laughs> busy. I mean, uh-huh. we, uh, I, I guess the biggest change was that when we last when we last spoke, I think I was already editing the specials, and yeah. I think just started doing the magazine. So I think um, the biggest adjustment on a personal level is um, is uh, managing a schedule that um, encompasses uh, nineteen magazines a year, which is which is what we're doing. Oh, yeah, that's a lot. We do 13 regular issues and we do 13 specials and we do 13 bookazines as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I think one thing I learned very early in the process and one thing I was probably grappling with when I spoke to you last was that um, you can't underestimate the importance of planning ahead and actually trying to schedule um, themes for magazines um, as sure. many months in advance as possible. Um I think that um, something else that obviously we couldn't have taken into account was the fact that uh, uh, COVID was going to change all our lives and all our working practices so dramatically. Yeah. And it certainly had a dramatic effect on the way we compiled the magazine and, um, and dare I say, it, the access we've had to the show, which... Obviously, you know, because the show is now made or has been made under very different conditions from the ones yeah. um, we were used to before. And um, obviously that's had an impact on the show and um, it's therefore had an impact on the magazine's access to the show as well. So these were all things that, um, well, COVID mainly is something that we just couldn't have seen on the horizon when we last spoke. Oh, definitely. Uh, and so, yeah, it's about, um, I think the biggest thing to get used to is just the whole management aspect of it, really. But all mm-hmm. levels, 
not just the uh, the frequency of the magazines, but also the um, the conditions, managing the conditions under which it's put together, and, um, and managing our access, trying to manage our access to the show. Yeah, that, that's totally understandable. Um, getting into the 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 production of Doctor New magazine during COVID, um, I like you said, it's something that was totally unforeseen, and we, you along with everybody else, just kind of had to adjust to the the way the world was changing on a daily basis um i i know over here in the states the the access to dr who magazine physical copies anyway uh had a was dramatically impacted um how big of an impact uh, you know i i kind of perceived as as things were going on how big an impact COVID had on the release of Doctor Who magazine or getting the the physical copies out to newsstands and stuff. Can you uh, talk about how how that actually really impacted the production of the magazine? Uh, The biggest, it didn't impact the production of the magazine. I mean, we did our best to make sure that it didn't have um, a negative impact on the production of the magazine. I think it meant initially, well, still, in fact, that, you know, we were largely working remotely. Mm Mm-hmm. And nobody was going into the office. Sure. Before. But that's that that that's possible. You know, everyone's having to do that. And yeah. Thing that we've that we're you know still currently doing. You know, I mean, we were we were together, or most of us were together quite recently. But um, I just don't know what this year is going to hold, and that's tricky. Um, during the first lockdown, first lockdown in the UK, anyway. Um, I was aware that um. Um, the uh, the company that handled our exports to the states, I was aware that they were um, um, you know, introducing their own COVID protocols, which meant that um, at least initially, I think it was quite difficult to get copy for our American subscribers and Canadian subscribers to actually get physical copies of the magazine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would hope that situation has been rectified, but certainly um, around spring summer 2020 when this thing really hit um certainly in the uk anyway i was aware that that was going to be a problem we had problems of our own because our biggest um um, our biggest retailer over here uh certainly biggest bricks and mortar retailer over over here in terms of magazines is is wh smith and they actually closed during the first lockdown and um yeah you know, uh, big problems, big problems. But you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell too much on that because I know that absolutely everybody's had problems. You know, and I sure. think that um, I can't say that we've had it worse than anybody else because I know that people have been suffering terribly on a business level and on a personal level. And you know, we've all had our problems. And I think that um, I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to keep going. We weren't. Um, <clears throat> We, we were able to maintain and have been able to maintain um, a complete schedule of regular issues, at least, uh-huh. um, during 2020. And in 2021, we returned to a complete schedule of, of regular issues, plus specials and bookazines as well. And, yeah. um, you know, that, that took some very careful thinking and some, and some careful management on our part. And... Um, I have to leave the distribution and so on to the experts at, at Panini, our, our publisher. And, you know, I think they, they did a great job. But um, let's face it, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, are we? We're in an no. ongoing situation. <laughs> and I don't take anything for granted. So I think that um, 
my my major priority is just to maintain the schedule. Yeah, and um, let's just hope things get easier. Yeah, that's that's, that's to say true. As well, there have been, although the pandemic has obviously um, brought significant personal and business problems for just about everybody. You know, there have been there have been some um, at least one uh, unforeseen upside to this, which is that. Um, since 2020, it's become increasingly difficult, very difficult indeed for us to actually conduct face-to-face -face interviews, which is what, you know, as a as a journalist, is what you always like to do, if you can. You always like to be in oh, the definitely. same room. You always like to be in the same room as the person you're talking to. Uh -huh. Anybody who's writing articles for the magazine, you know, I always, I always say to them, look, you know, get together with that person if you can. Obviously, that was advice that I was no longer able to, to give. Um, by spring summer 2020 but i think the unforeseen upside to that is that we were able to get access and improved access to people who maybe we would not have been able to speak to before simply because we were using zoom um and, okay. and software like that so for example and i suppose the most um the most notable example was christopher eccleston who hadn't spoken to the magazine since 2004 uh -huh. We were able to get um, uh, quite a detailed multi-issue interview with him. And uh, and um, I remember uh, we spoke to Neil Gaiman as well, at which point I think he was in New Zealand, I think. And so there are some people who we couldn't have got before, or at least not easily, that under the current circumstances, ironically, it's actually slightly easier to get now because you yeah. don't actually have to schedule <laughs> A face-to-face -face, um, interview with them. Now, yeah. I, it, I mean, this doesn't this doesn't change my view on these things really. I do think that, you know, as a journalist, it's always better to be in the room with the person that you're speaking to. But you know, if at the moment it's just not possible, then you have to make a virtue of the fact that you can't and work around that and conduct a different type of interview. Or, and as I say, mm -hmm. conduct interviews with people that you wouldn't normally be able to get. And so that's been um, that's been an unexpected positive of the situation that we've um we're currently living with sure and you know i would say the the interview with christopher eccleston is i i would consider it one of the highlights of the the past few years of dr Who magazine just because he was somebody who was so uh uh quiet and didn't want to talk about his his work on doctor who and and was finally uh, willing to open up about it and, and talk about, you know, what it was like for him and and uh, just to get to know him more as a person. That's what I got out of the interviews. Yeah, I thought it was a fascinating piece. And um, and and um, what a nice guy. I wasn't able to speak to him myself, but I thought the interview was fascinating. And I was just, uh, I think we're all pleased that he's just come back. We're all, we're all yeah. pleased that he's playing the doctor again. It's just, it's great news for all of us. Oh, definitely. Uh, do you have uh, any other uh, over the past couple of years uh, what you would consider highlights of, of uh, you being in charge of Doctor Who magazine, whether it be an interview with somebody or a feature that that has come up? I think that um, one of the ones that um, one of the issues that um, talking about this period in 2020 when things during the first lockdown, mm -hmm. when things were at their, uh, their most difficult for us. Um, uh, we did a big issue themed around 1976 that um, that came in a that, that came in a poly bag with a with a, with a diorama of the um, of the 
quote-unquote gothic control room from the mid uh -huh. And that was the issue that was released just as shops here started shutting down. And so <clears throat> I, I regretted that not um, as many people as I would have liked saw that issue. Yeah. Because we worked enormously hard on that issue. But hey, we didn't know what was coming. I mean, I think another um, um, positive memory of that initial period is, um, is the way that... Um, Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat got in touch with us, you know, because they were so concerned. They knew that, you know, they, they knew how difficult it was for everybody. And they, they both said, you know, how can we help? Uh -huh. What can we do to help you? Um, which I thought was just a, just a fantastic, um, a fantastic thing for both of them to do. And I was, you know, I was, um, I was, I was so, I was so pleased about that and so chuffed. And so we did an issue which again, which um, which was released right in the middle of the first biggest lockdown here, which was Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat interviewing each other. Yep. Which was just fascinating, absolutely uh -huh. fascinating. And um, they were so they were so generous with their time, and um, and I thought that was a, that was a wonderful piece. That was you know that was a, a real highlight, I think. Um, another highlight was the um, uh, of this period was the bookazine that we were able to um, put together again working remotely, which compiled the uh, the TV twenty one Dalek strips. Oh, definitely. But um, but we were able to actually compile the thing using largely original artboards. I think. More than more than three, around three quarters, more than three quarters possibly, uh -huh. was actually in, uh, comprised um, scans of original artboards, and so we were able to quote unquote remaster that, so it actually looked better than it even looked in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, and um, again, it's the sort of thing that was you know possible to do while we were working remotely, and it was something that I'd wanted to do for. I don't know how many years. Years, <laughs> years, you know, it was uh -huh. very tricky to negotiate. Um, but um, I was so pleased we were able to do that. But as I, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, I think that um, the thing I'm most pleased about is just the fact that we've been able to keep going because I know that other magazines haven't. And so, you know, I, I don't um, I don't take the loyalty of our subscribers and our readers for granted at all. You know, we're, yeah. we're very grateful for, for the support that they've showed us. Well, uh, I, I think there's there's quite a few readers out there that are loyal to Actor Magazine uh, readers, you know, for years, if not decades, myself included. Oh, and, well, uh, very much. Uh, the, uh, the, the collection of the Dalek strips that I would definitely consider that a highlight. Of course, I'm kind of biased because the, the, the comic strips are kind of my forte. And, uh, yes. I was, and, uh, I was going to get into the comics in a little bit. My, my, one other question I wanted to ask you is, uh, with, uh, Chris Chibnall taking over for, and running, being the showrunner on Doctor Who, I know there was lots of stories out there about how, uh, people were kind of, uh, let down or disheartened to a degree with the lack of, of information that, that was being released from the production office about, you know, teasing things that were coming up or talking about episodes, that kind of thing. Uh, on the, the journalism aspect of things, was it a challenge combining, you know, the 
COVID uh, protocols and and uh, the the kind of hush hush that the the Chibnall offices had with things was it difficult being able to do current articles about what was going on with Doctor Who? I think that um, <clears throat> I think the thing to bear in mind about Doctor Who magazine is it, it it is a licensed publication, but it's not like any licensed publication that I've ever worked on before, and I've worked on a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the amount of freedom um, that we're allowed in our coverage of the show is is unparalleled. In my experience, you know, speaking as someone yeah. who's worked in licensed publishing for the last nearly 30 years. Um, but having said all that, um, access to preview information, that sort of thing, is not something that we are necessarily, that, we nece- that the BBC necessarily has a contractual obligation to provide us. Sure. It's something that um, in the past... Um, John Nathan Turner, back in the 1980s, um, and maybe Graham Williams before him, I'm not sure. But um, but John Nathan Turner was always very guarded about uh-huh. information on the show. Um, Russell T. Davis and um, Stephen Moffat, rather, for, rather more forthcoming. And Chris sure. has had his own way of um, releasing and drip-feeding preview information. Now, I think we've had... We've had some good access, I think, and we've certainly had better access than any other publication, I think, whether yeah. line or in print. But, you know, I, I do understand that it's been different. But the way the show has been previewed has been different from the way it was previewed when Russell was the um, executive producer or when Stephen was the executive producer. And so it's just uh-huh. a case of working within, um, within that new system. I mean, we do work very closely yeah. with Chris and um, and very closely with Matt Strevens, but they like to do things a particular way. And, of course, you know, we respect that. Sure. Um, I think, you know, if there was another magazine that was getting better coverage than we were getting or, getting, or was getting more information, then, you know, I think maybe, you know, I might be inclined to pick up the phone to Chris and say, hey, Chris, I've just read this in, you know, uh, a fanzine or a website or something, but I've never felt the need to do that. That's never happened. I've yeah. never, you know, I've never, I've never had to say to Chris, well, "Why did you give them that story, but you didn't give us this?" Because I think that working within those restrictions, um, I think he's he's given us more time than he's given anybody else, and um, and he's certainly written more for us than he has for anyone else. I'm not yeah. sure he's done anything for anybody else, actually, uh, for that matter, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. And so that's just that that's the way that Chris likes to run the show. And we've worked within that. I mean, I'm sure that when Russell returns, things will be different again. But um, so it's a case of getting used to it. I think it would have been naive, uh, possibly, to expect that the magazine would run in exactly the same way because Chris is not Russell and he's not yeah. Steve. Yeah. And, um, but we have had um, a lot of access. We've run, and all we've had an awful lot of access to um, uh, to the to the stars of the show, and we've run a lot of interviews with Jody. I would dare yeah. I say I haven't counted these up. I think we've run more interviews with Jody than the magazine was able to run with her predecessors. I would say. Yeah, it's just yeah, I agree with that. 
Um, I think I think it's just a case of the information has appeared in a different way and possibly at a different time. I think Chris does not like to give too much away. He likes to play his cards close to his chest, and that's his prerogative. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would say so that, you know, everybody is different, and I, I think fan- the fans got used to uh, Russell and Steven being very open and and putting lots of, of information out there, whereas Chibnall is the, the opposite. He wants to to let out just enough to get people interested, but not go overboard. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I totally agree and, you know, with and you. People have, people have to understand that the way that, that, you know, access to this preview information is a privilege. You know, there, yeah. is, no, there is no contractual obligation on the PBC's part uh, to provide us with that stuff. It's, um, and I think that Chris um, does think very highly of the magazine. I know it's a very important part of his life and has been since his childhood. I just think he just likes to, um, he just likes to have a slightly different relationship with the magazine from from the relationship that uh, that his predecessors had. And as I said, a that's prerogative, and b if anyone else was getting better coverage, then I would have been upset. But I don't think they do. I, I still think I still flatter myself, or we flatter ourselves, that our coverage of the show um, is is unparalleled, and that is you know that's largely down to him and Matt. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think the the coverage that you've been providing has been excellent. Uh, you know, as far as covering what's what's going to be coming up, um, uh, giving us some behind the scenes stuff, interviews, like you said with Jody. Jody always seems to be willing to to talk about working on the show or her thoughts on yeah. things. Yeah, but you know, things will. You know, I'm sure it will be different. You know, once once Russell, um, um, once once Russell is is fully online with the magazine. You know, I will, you know, I'll sit down with him and say, look, how do you want to run it? Uh-huh. And we'll do it his way. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's not, not too far away now, just around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, on another uh, aspect of the magazine, um, I, I wanted to talk about the comic strip. And uh, my, my first question for you was how, how was it or how uh, difficult was it to to decide to put the comic strip on hiatus during COVID because you know I know as well as everybody else that the comic strip is the most expensive part of making the magazine and uh, how how difficult was it to say let's let's hold off on the comic strip for a while? Well, it was a it was an awful decision uh, to have to make because as you say the comic strip is. Um, the most expensive part of the magazine and of course we were we were hurting during those um during those lockdowns um as everybody was i know but um the most important thing was to ensure that we maintained that schedule i didn't want to have to go uh bi-monthly which I know some magazines were doing. I certainly didn't want to close. <laughs> not that that, yeah, was, yeah, not that was on the cards, <laughs> I'm very glad to say, um, which other magazines were doing. And so, you know, we sat down with management and we just, you know, they said to us, we have to steer a path through this. And um, and the way, and as you say, the, the, the biggest decision that we made was to rest the comic strip. And I've got to say, everyone was very understanding about it. Obviously, we didn't want to rest the comic strip because yeah. the comic strip is... It's part of this magazine's DNA. I mean, it's a very yeah. unusual magazine, Doctor Who magazine, in that respect, because I can't think of any other magazine that has um, 
that has this combination of of predominantly features and strips. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, no, no other magazine I read has a yeah. strip in it like we do. But I'm very glad that that Doctor Who magazine does have that because it gives us a chance to to actually create new Doctor Who. And um, it also provides, you know, a very strong link between the magazine and the current incarnation of the show. So, for example, you were talking about how um, the current production team has, in some people's view, been rather more guarded with previewing information than its predecessors have been. Uh I mean, in situations where that has been the case and the show has been in production and we can't report, we have to wait until we report certain things. Having the comic strip in there ensures that you you have um, you still have Jodie's Doctor in there and you still have the current team in there, and so it yeah. keeps it's a very important part of keeping the magazine current as well. So it was a very difficult decision to have to drop it, um, but everyone was very understanding, I must admit. And um, as things started to improve, we um, we commissioned a text story from yeah. Joy which I think worked really well and people really liked it. And um, I'm hoping that there'll be more of that in the future. But I'm pleased to say that the strip is now back. Um, yeah, we can get and we can get back on course with that. And it's it, it's great to have it back. Yeah, it was a, a nice, pleasant surprise to to get a, a new Doctor magazine and see that the strip had, had returned. Um, yeah, I heard all sorts of speculation that the strip wasn't coming back and it had been dropped. It's, you know, I mean, it's all this. There was, there, you know, there was, there was a lot of noise about it on social media, and I just, you know, there was it was never the intention to, mm-hmm. to, you know, permanently, you know, remove the strip from the magazine. It's just that, um, you know, it's a very difficult situation for us, as everyone else, you know, and it was just uh, the important thing, as I keep saying, was to to maintain this schedule, maintain a regular schedule. Yeah, um, we were able to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the strip goes, the strip uh, has decreased in size a little bit now it's down to six pages yes uh yeah is there any chance that it will go back up to the eight pages that it used to be um there is a possibility that we'll run supplements in future but it's not just the fact that we're actually um uh the strip is now six it's um we're also actually changing the style of storytelling within the strip and we're moving to to shorter more self-contained stories and short, yeah, I, more, more self-contained story arcs um, as an experiment um, because we're still, you know, we're still talking about what the strip is going to be mm-hmm. in 2022. And you probably noticed that the style of the strip has changed in that respect and in other, and in, in other respects as well. I mean, I don't want to um, really speak too much on the behalf of the people who create it, but I, I feel we've moved towards um, a more um, British tradition of comic storytelling, I think. Okay. Um, certainly, certainly more um, uh, redolent of um, comics such as Misty, for example, which we talked about quite a lot yeah. when, when we were bringing the strip back, uh, and actually looking to other traditions of. Um, style and and storytelling within the strip, and that's something that we're, that we're still exploring because I think that worked quite well, I mm-hmm. think originally, and um, and we have a great team in there, and we'll be bringing new people in um, throughout the year as well, and so we're going to experiment a bit with it. Um, okay, 
not only so it isn't just a case of experimenting with the length of each strip it's experimenting with the style of storytelling as well okay yeah i, I was wondering about if by now that you were bringing the strip back after being uh having a rest with it uh i noticed that the the strip is now like a a, a one and two part story type uh thing or at least the ones that have come back so far and i was wondering if that was going to be the new norm or if it, no if not at all not at all um uh, the new norm is that there is not going to be a norm. <laughs> so is, the, the new norm is that we're going to experiment. We're actually just about um, we're just about to embark on a four-part story. Okay. For example, and so we're um, we're putting the word out there to um, to writers and to artists as well, um, some of whom we've worked with before, some of whom we haven't, and um, and we're basically going to open it up a little bit. But I do think that I think the way to go, at least at the moment, is to actually for shorter, more self-contained stories, which is what we're working, which is what we're working to at the moment. Okay. And we've had a great reaction to it. You know, people seem to like it a lot. And as I say, mm -hmm. we're going to be, I hope, doing some text stories as well in the future and mixing it up. Okay. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I have no problem with that. I like the text stories. Especially when you got some nice illustrations to go with them, are always a nice change of pace from time to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just about exploring. You know, we have, you know, we have this, um, we have this privilege, which is, you know, being able to tell new stories um, based on Doctor Who. And um, I think, you know, at the moment we are um, exploring ways that we can do that within <laughs> our license. Sure. And uh, you you mentioned that uh, you're putting a call out for kind of new some new writers and new artists. Uh, will we be seeing uh, some of our our favorite art or writers and artists back again, like uh, Scott Gray or Martin Garrity, for example? Uh, we're talking to a lot of people at the moment. Actually, I don't want to say who right now, but um, but yeah, it's um, the aim is to is to mix it up. Okay. That's all I'll say for now. Watch this space. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Um, uh, getting back to the, the Dalek, uh, the classic comics uh, special that you folks put out, um, the, the, the fan reaction to that as far as uh, people that are fans of Doctor Who comics, we loved it. We thought it was, you know, oh, great good. to see to Brilliant. see the this uh, all the artwork digitally remastered and, like you said, you know, three quarters of what you reprinted was all off the original artwork. Yes, uh, it, it was nice. I can't pay enough tribute to Perry Godbold, who led the restoration team on that because she did a brilliant job, and I think that the job she did such great work on that. But I think many people. Um, in fact, probably everyone I've spoken to struggled to distinguish between the original artwork and the artwork that was actually restored from printed sources. Uh -huh. I, I can't, I can't think of a higher tribute that can be paid to the work that she did on that. And that's not, you know, that isn't because the original artwork didn't look any good. The original artwork looked fantastic, <laughs> but she was uh -huh. able to work miracles with, and it was extremely labor intensive. Um, and I think it would have been, for that reason, it just wouldn't have been possible. It wouldn't have been viable to spend that amount of time on restoring the whole issue from printed artwork. Yeah. From previously printed artwork. But fortunately, we didn't have to because um, everyone that we approached, the collectors that we approached, um, uh, were, were, very, were very forthcoming. With um, with lending us artwork to scan or scanning artwork themselves and so on, um, 
And so the work she did there was fantastic. There was a fantastic, there was a great consistency, I think, across that. And it was, um, you know, I, I think, to be honest, it was the most impressive uh, piece of strip, comic strip restoration I think I've ever seen. And, yeah, uh, it was. and it was, um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's uh, I think most people would struggle to differentiate between the ones that were restored from printed sources and the ones that came from original artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would I've always love that strip ever since I was a child. You know, it's, um, I mean, I can see its inconsistencies in the area. I can see its narrative inconsistencies, and you can certainly see the inconsistencies in the artwork, you know, sometimes yeah. within, you know, sometimes within original, you know, an original artist's output, which can uh-huh. change, you know, remarkably. If we look at, you know, Richard Jennings' yeah. style, for example, um, but that doesn't change the fact that, um, you know, it's um, it's always been one of my favourite strips, and I think it has a, such an important place in Doctor Who history as well. Not least of which um, because of the contributions that were made by Terry Nation and David Whittaker. Yeah, which you know, I know don't make it canon as such, but make it you know the next best thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and of course, we all love Ron Turner's artwork. I think it's just astonishing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Uh, with with the the, I'm not sure how sales wise how well that special did, but you know, in the eyes of, of us Doctor Who comic fans, we loved it. Is there any chance that we might see more reprints of like the 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 pre Doctor Who magazine comic strips, like the stuff from like Countdown or uh, TV comic, the like the Third Doctor strips, for example. Well, I don't have figures on the Dalek sales, um, but I do know that we reprinted, which is very unusual. Uh, yeah. And so we did. We uh, we did a reprint on the Daleks bookazine. Um, I think that um, the issue is with reprinting material from before the Marvel era is one of well, there are a number of issues. I mean, rights, obviously, because Panini has. Um, owns a lot of material, owns a lot of Doctor Who material from um, before the Marvel era. Uh-huh. But um, we don't have access to original artwork. And um, we have very um, we have very exacting standards okay. reprinting that material because I think a lot of that material has been reprinted over and over again. I mean, and dare I say it, the Daleks have been reprinted many times. Um, yeah. But, you know, I didn't want to do the Daleks again unless it was what I, as a vinyl records collector, described as the final upgrade. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, if, 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 there's, if there's a record, you you know, you've been after it for a long time, you know, I've, you think, you know, you... You find it, you know, a collector offers it to you or find it selling in a shop or a record fair or whatever. And you think, oh, great, I've got my hands on that. And then six months later, this record that you hadn't seen before for 20 years comes up again in slightly better condition. And then a year after that, you see it again. And you, you end up having spent <laughs> for 40, you know, four uh-huh. times what you originally envisaged <laughs> to get one in the condition that you actually wanted. Yeah. And so, you know, if I can sort of transfer that analogy over to comics collecting, you know, I mean, I really want to, um, I, I want to reprint archive comics um in the best quality possible you know i want i I want i want final upgrade editions and the issue with the pre-marvel stuff is that Panini doesn't own the rights to all of it it owns an awful lot of it 
but not all of it. But we don't have access to as much artwork as we'd like. And I think the thing about the Daleks strip was that because it was is so cherished by so many collectors, it came as a surprise to me exactly how much of it still existed, how much okay. of it was actually out there. And um, as word got round that we were doing this, people, you know, we approached people and, you know, friends of ours, such as um, John Freeman, who previously edited Doctor Who magazine, he, he put the shout out as well. And that yeah. was really helpful. And other people heard about it and actually came forward, bless them, you know, uh, because the strip is so cherished and so highly thought of. I think that maybe, dare I say it, although there is some outstanding stuff in the early 1970s, um, it would be, we would have to embark on, we'd have to put the word out, which I'm perfectly happy to do, um, to see what original artwork is out there. Sure. Because it isn't just the fact that scanning from original art boards gives you the best quality. It's actually quicker and much less labor intensive than bringing printed material up to yeah. the standard that we require. That we require. And as I was saying earlier about the Daleks, it took it took Perry um, and Paul, um, uh, who did most of the restoration, um, much longer to restore the material from the printed sources. And it's just if you're going to do an entire bookazine or entire magazine like that, that's a heck of a lot of time. Yeah, and it's expensive. And so I think the first step towards reprinting, um, say, for example, the 1970s material, the countdown material is what I presume you're, you're thinking about. Yeah. Here, yeah? Yep. yeah. Yep. Would be to actually put the word out, tell people we're doing it and seeing how much artwork is out there. I haven't seen that much original artwork from those years compared to the Dalek strip. I, I don't know whether you have a view on this and whether no, you... I, I, I personally don't know how much is out there. I, I'd be willing to bet that there's probably more than, than you or I would think there is just because that is another era of the, the comic strip that fans seem to, to really be uh, big about or clamor about that they remember from their childhood. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot less, there's less love for the TV comic material, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Uh, the 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 countdown stuff is something that people they they still remember the artwork or talk fondly of it. So it, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if there's 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 quite a there's more of it. I bet there's more of it out there than than we think that there is. Yeah, I've seen some countdown art boards. I don't think I've seen any TV comic art boards. Yeah, just, not to say that they don't exist. Yep. But um, it would it would need some investigation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, you know that's I, hopefully the, something like that would be able to to work out it somewhere down the road. Uh, yeah. You know, I I, I would love to see a nice uh, either bookazine or a, a, a graphic novel collection of that stuff. Um, another era that where is as far as like Doctor Who magazine goes. Um, the I enjoy getting the the graphic novels whenever Panini puts them out, collecting the comic strips, and I know we're kind of at the the tail end of all the the uh, Doctor Who magazine, Doctor Who comic strips being reprinted in that format. Um, are there any plans to possibly uh, collect the the backup strips from the early days of 
you know, Doctor Who Weekly uh, and Doctor Who Monthly magazine, uh, collecting those into a, a book that I can put on my bookshelf? Uh, that's not actually my department, but it's something that I would like to see. <laughs> um, it's something that, yeah, I mean, again, it's um, there are restoration issues, but I mean, you know, as you probably know, those I think all those graphic novels that um, that, that, that Scott Gray has overseen have all been um, produced to what we might call final upgrade quality. Yeah. Yep. And um, and uh, I, yeah, I would certainly welcome um, a book that collected those strips. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, I think so too. Especially for somebody like like me, uh, I didn't start collecting Natural Magazine until the the late '80s, so I missed out on a lot of that that early stuff. And uh, yeah. I I would like. To, I'm also a completist, so having a my bookshelf full of Doctor Who graphic novels and collections and stuff, I'm I feel like there's a, a space reserved for those strips. Yeah, and one thing that we've discussed here, I was talking earlier about how we've rebooted the comic strip recently, one of the topics of conversation that came up was, you know, well, what would it be like to actually run a strip that didn't actually include the Doctor? Mm -hmm. um, and this is, you know, something that's, um, that's still being discussed. Sure. Because that hasn't happened in the magazine since those days. Yeah, and I, I think it would be uh, a, a welcome addition to, to put that into the mix. Well, like I said, it was it was um, part of our discussions of you know what could you know what could the strip be, what should the strip be, and that was you know that was one of the um, one of the issues that was raised, and it's something mm -hmm. we're talking about. Sure. Um, uh, one other question I actually uh, mentioned on Twitter that I was going to be chatting with you, and I asked people to, if they had any questions that they would like uh, me to ask you, and one person uh, asked about the. Uh, the humorous Doctor Who comic strips, like the the Daft Dimension that Lou Stringer does, yes. um, the and along those lines, the the humorous articles that that happen in, or that you put into Doctor Who magazine from time to time. Uh, this this uh, reader or or listener to the podcast was wondering how popular is the like the the Daft Dimension, and uh, is there any chance of seeing more? Uh, articles and and strips on the the humorous side of doctor who uh daft dimension is um, very popular in the office <laughs> I, know <that. laughs> I, don't know. Um, I don't have any data on um you know where the readers are. i mean we love working with lou stringer i think he's um i mean it's not only very popular in the office it's also very popular amongst my um, family members as well who you know sometimes uh -huh. it's the only part of the magazine they want to look at <laughs> much to my <laughs> Most of my regret. But, um, look look yeah. at all this work that I put into this magazine. Oh, we yes, want to read exactly. the comic strip. <laughs> yes, that's fine. Have you got any silly Daleks? Yeah. Uh, 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 no, we love we love working with Lou. Lou was, um, you know, Lou was um, uh, part of the magazine uh, before I joined, but um, there was never any question in my mind that um, that he should continue being part of the magazine as well. I mean, you know, lots of the magazine changed, have changed a lot over the last four or five years. Um, we've introduced new regular features and dropped other things, but, um, but you know, I love working with Lou and, um, and uh, I especially love the way he draws Daleks. Uh -huh. <laughs> Every month he'll say to me, well, you know, what, what, you know, do you have any ideas? Are there any themes? And I always say, oh, can you just do some Daleks? <laughs> like that. He'll say to me, "Oh, you're doing a Dalek issue." And I said, "No, I just love the way you do Dalek." Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> and um, 
and we were able to um for the magazine's 40th anniversary at the end of 2019 um when we were planning that the only thing or the first thing i, I had in mind at one stage it was the only thing i had in mind for the issue because i didn't have any other <laughs> ideas so i wanted Lou to do a full page strip about the adventures of um the magazine's founding editor des skin uh-huh. um I just, you know, I wish there were, I wish that there were, there were more opportunities to include that sort of thing. But you have to find a balance, really. It's, um, yeah. I think that Lou's humour is, um, it's obviously, you know, it's obviously very silly, but it's, um, it's, it's never, never less than affectionate. And um, I think that um, not only is he, is he a highly skilled artist, but he's also a very fine judge of how silly you can be about Doctor Who without actually um, mocking the show itself, which, of yeah. course, you know, we don't want. You know, nobody wants to spend um, £5.99 or whatever they're spending on the magazine to be told that the show that they love is actually no good, you know, yeah. or, or, or actually daft. You yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, and I think he's very, very good at, um, at gently poking fun at aspects of the show, but doing it in an entirely affectionate way. And that's why he's. That's one of the reasons why he's such um, an asset to the magazine. I think um, to go back to your listeners' question, I think uh, extending um, the humour beyond that part of the magazine is something that um, that you have to do very, very carefully, really, because um, because it's you know you, you only buy Doctor Who magazine, I think, because you love the show, and yeah. and so any satirical humor or humor that actually mocks the show itself i mean we have had a few experiments i mean um quite recently jonathan morris wrote an interesting article for us which i think was called watch the donut not the hole um where he actually imagined a scenario where all the 1960s episodes that currently exist were actually missing and he imagined a parallel universe where we actually all we actually had were the ones that we don't currently have access to, if you uh-huh. get my drift. Sure. Which was an interesting experiment and served a reminder that served as a reminder that while Doctor Who magazines while Doctor Who fans are, you know, understandably still very upset about the episodes that are missing, we should at least be grateful for what's there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, remarkable things, you know, we 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 now take for granted the fact that, you know, that the pilot episode or you know the so-called pilot episode still exists. Or that all seven episodes of the first Dalek serial exist. Yeah. You know, obviously, we're very upset that Troughton's first story doesn't exist, and we're upset about you know the, the absence of Marco Polo and things like that. But think about what we have actually got. And so that was that was a light-hearted. That article was a light-hearted reminder of those things. But I think that I think we have to tread uh, a fine line there. We have to be careful. I think that um, I haven't run ever since I became editor. I haven't run any of the traditional polls that the magazine used to run um, in terms of, you know, yeah. uh, in terms of what are the most popular stories or the most popular doctors or whatever. We do have this World Cup theme, uh-huh. which we resurrect, you know, from time to time, where we actually, quote unquote, play stories off against each other, which I think yeah. is a new twist on that. But it's also uh-huh. confined to particular era, eras as well. So you're either, you're comparing... Dalek stories or you're comparing first Doctor stories 
whatever. You're not, you know, you, yeah. there's no point you ever comparing uh, the Daleks' master plan, you know, to um, uh, Terror of the Autons or the or the Saranga conundrum or something like that. Yeah. You're actually, yeah. pitting eras against each other in that respect. You know, you're you're confining it to doctors or monsters and that sort of thing. So I think that's a kind of light-hearted way to introduce a twist on that um, on that polling system. I think, which I know that readers like a lot, um, and I think this is that that's a new way of doing it. And I think that um, in the back of the magazine, like we have a we have a column now called Sufficient Data, which um, which is um, largely overseen by Simon Garrier and illustrated by uh, by Ben Morris. And I think that, uh-huh. you know, takes a sort of uh, light, kind of lighthearted approach to the number crunching statistical um, yeah. uh, aspects of Doctor Who. So when, when people say to you that, they, you know, what, what, what are the possibilities for more humorous articles in the magazine? I'll be interested to know what sort of humor people actually um, are talking about, because it's... Um, it's like I said, we don't we don't want anything that actually mocks the show. Yeah. I think yeah, it's... that anybody or even or even, you know, criticizes it in a negative way as opposed to a constructive way. Mm-hmm. As I said earlier, we do have an awful lot of freedom within our license to be critical of the show, etc. And that's something that we don't take lightly. And you know, our, our reviews are sometimes critical of the show, but I hope always in a constructive way, never in a mocking way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the way you want to criticize or, or take a look at something with a, a, a constructive or an eye for the, the, the construction or the criticizing of it. Um, yeah. Not just, just putting it down for the sake of putting it down. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. If you want to read, you know, things about where people are putting Dr. Who down in a humorous or non-humorous <laughs> way, then, you know, the internet is, Exactly. The internet can apply. Along those lines, uh, do you do you find it a challenge keeping Doctor Who magazine relevant in the internet age when there's so much, uh, you know, people's views on Doctor Who on the internet or news about the the new series, you know, coming up. do you is it tough to have Doctor Who magazine as a place where people can still go to to find that kind of information without just going to the internet all the time? Um, I think that um, in terms of breaking news stories, I'm not sure that this magazine or any other has really been able, or even dare I say, it, newspaper has, <laughs> has been able to actually efficiently break. Um, any meaningful news story, I think, um, for a very long time now. And I think it's very difficult. Yes, we do have an awful lot of exclusive, uh, exclusives in the magazine. We have a lot of exclusive photography in yeah. the new series. We have exclusive access. And in terms of actually breaking news, yes, I mean, if the magazine the magazine is traditionally on sale on a Thursday, it often goes out to subscribers, sometimes goes out to subscribers earlier, generally a day earlier. And um, as soon as it's out there, then whatever exclusive we have or whatever news story we may have is somebody will put on Twitter. Yeah. Or somebody will share on social media, in which case it's, you know, it's shared by yeah. it's, it's shared by the whole world within minutes. And so I don't really see that 
um, as the function of the magazine anymore. Okay. Which, I mean, we'll do that if we can, but I don't think it's the um, I don't think it's the mag I, I don't think it's the magazine's primary function. I think the difference there there are many differences between what Doctor Who magazine does and what the internet does. I think, um, and of course, the internet I think has its place and is very valuable as a resource of information. Yeah. I think regarding Doctor Who and for reference, I think very valuable. Mm -hmm. But I think the difference is, and uh, I'm going to borrow uh, a theory from Russell T. Davis here. Um, but um, he once said to me that you know, the difference between um, Doctor Who fandom on the internet and Doctor Who magazine is that Doctor Who magazine has a budget. <laughs> and he said to me, um, okay, it may not be as much money as you'd like. He said, but you do actually have a budget to create things and to commission things and to examine things in depth. And and then above that process, you have the internal peer review process here as well, which doesn't work exactly the same way in the internet on the internet. And you're actually able to provide, say, for example, um, physical items such as I mentioned a TARDIS diorama earlier, or yeah. a supplement, a keepsake supplement magazine, or a poster. Or, um, I mean, we've got lots of interesting things like that planned for the coming year, for sure. example. So you're actually able to provide something that people will actually, I hope, want to keep on their shelves mm -hmm. as well. So I think that, um, of course, the Internet has had an impact on all traditional media in that respect and also in all print publication. But Doctor Who fans have been very loyal to the magazine because I do think that we do many things that the Internet can't do. And long may that continue. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's that's one of the nice things about Doctor Who magazine is the. I, I think you give an interesting uh, look on Doctor Who, whether it be the the current TV show that that people are watching or the history of Doctor Who. You know, covering uh, uh, critiques of of episodes or eras. Uh, along with interviews of cast, you know, past and present, and uh, reviewing uh, everything from novels to big finish audios, you you do a, an excellent job of of covering the the whole spectrum of Doctor Who. Hmm. And you know, I'm not sure there's anybody on the internet is going to give you thirty, forty thousand words to read about Doctor Who every four weeks. Maybe there is, I don't know, but <laughs> not, no, no one I'm aware of, which is, you know, not to be, uh, not to be dis um, dismissive of all the things that the internet does really well, such as your podcast and other people's podcasts <laughs> as well. And that's fantastic. <laughs> that has its place too, because we can't do what you're doing now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think we can happily coexist. Yeah. I hope so. I totally agree. I, I think you're totally right, uh, and thank you for the compliment. Uh, I, I think you're doing an excellent job. You've been uh, running Doctor Who magazine for going on four years now. Uh, and yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I think you're doing an excellent job. Uh, thank you. Uh, I have one last question for you. Um, I, the the book of zines and the specials that, that you've been coming out with, uh, I enjoy reading and, and looking at. Uh, when are we going to get a, a special about the history of Doctor Who comics? Well, I think that's a very good idea. It's something that's been raised before. And um, it's been on the, the long list of ideas for quite a while. Gotcha. So um, 
I, yeah, I think it would be neat to see what... if more like John Nathan Turner than I did earlier. Then uh, <laughs> stay tuned. All right. I'll stay for that. All right. Well, awesome. That's good to hear. Well, Marcus Hearn, uh, thank you for taking time uh, out of your busy magazine production schedule to uh, chat with me and to, to let my listeners hear kind of the current state of Doctor Who magazine and uh, uh, continue success. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Many, many thanks to Marcus Hearn for joining me on Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Like I said in the intro, it just happened to work out that I sent him a message saying, you know, Marcus, we haven't chatted for a long time. I was wondering if we could set something up. And we were able to set something up in just a few days, and we chatted, had a great conversation, and you reap the benefits by listening to Marcus talk about what's going on with Doctor Who Magazine how they were able to make it through the uh, year of COVID or year plus of COVID and kind of give you a sneak peek as to what might be going on for the future of Doctor Who Magazine. So thank you very much, Marcus, for joining me on Doctor Who Panel to Panel and thank all of you out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope I know the, the interviews are always the most popular part of my podcast episodes. So like I said, this is something that I didn't want to wait until a month to go by to for you to listen to. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening to this. I hope you pass this uh, episode along to other people that might not listen to this podcast, but are fans of Doctor Who magazine, people that might want to know what the editor of Doctor Who magazine has to say about their product that they're putting out. And uh, please let people know that this podcast exists. Please let people know that if they want to hear what the editor has to say to download this episode and uh, listen to it. Likewise, have them listen to past episodes. There's plenty of other extra content out there. Uh, There's a a bunch of episodes on this current feed or the, the feed that you get this podcast on. But if you're looking for older podcast episodes of Dr. Who Panel to Panel, make sure you go to archive.org and do a search for Jeremy Bement or Doctor Who Panel to Panel. You can get all the episodes up to this current one on archive.org as easy to download MP3s. Uh, Everything from episode two on up is on archive.org. Lots of interviews, lots of good information, and lots of fun chat. So make sure you check those out as well. So until next time, which will probably be about a month, uh, this is Jeremy Bement thanking you for downloading this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, and I hope your New Year is off to a wonderful start. I know mine is, and until next time, bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you.